I remember the first time I saw a Newfie, I was in uh, Lake Tahoe, and I, I was wanting to go to this one restaurant, and there was this bear laying in front of the door. And, and I, I didn't realize it was a dog. I couldn't see its face. And I was like, I'm really hungry, but that's a bear. Anyway, so, hey, if you have something fun or interesting about you, I heard about one church. They found somebody in their church that owned a tank. That's kind of, I, I don't know why. It was Texas. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, uh, so if you have something interesting about your family, you'd allow us to show and tell. We'd love to do that because we have some interesting people around here. And uh, we're trying to make the point that every one of us has something to show and tell to our world. And uh, so that's our series, and uh, we're going to talk more about that. But um, I, I want to kind of uh, set up something here. Uh, so I got home from my, my summer break, and my garage was a mess. I mean, really bad mess. And problem is I left it that way. So, um, but I was surprised how many, you know, sometimes when you see something with fresh eyes, you, you haven't noticed how messy something is or how messed up something is. So you look at it with fresh eyes, you go, oh man, I need to do something about that. Right. Uh, I, I, so I have a, I have an uncle who there's this phrase in our family and it's rip it up and burn it. You ever have phrases in your family? You're not always sure where they came from. This one came from my uncle because my uncle and aunt put new carpet in the living room, went out to dinner, left the kids with a babysitter, came back, and there was a gallon of paint having been poured on the new floor. And he just simply said, rip it up and burn it. Sometimes, so it's kind of become a saying in our family, sometimes we see something with fresh eyes in a fresh way that you don't need incremental change. You don't need to tweak it. You need to rip it up and burn it. You need, sometimes we have an attitude that just needs to be ripped out and destroyed and replaced with a better attitude. Sometimes we have a worldview perspective that needs to be ripped up and needs to be changed. And so today, I want us to think of what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks in those terms. Not incremental change, but we need some significant change. There's something that we as a staff have noticed about ourselves and this congregation that needs an overhaul. We're going to talk about that over the next weeks, but to kind of get you thinking in those kinds of terms, I want you to listen to this. Nothing but love. 
kind of crazy And I'm so sorry, baby If I had a chance, I'd do it again So there are moments in life when you, um, you just don't have the energy to ignore certain things or to shine them on anymore, or you uh, can't find an excuse to get away from them, and you just have to deal with them. And I had a, an experience recently where I just kind of had to come to grips with something, and it's a question, a question came to my mind, and, and it's come to my mind many times over the years, but it just haunted me there for a few days, and I wanted to share it with you today. I think we all have uh, times when, when we get a glimpse of, we get a hint that there are deeper things in the world than we've been spending our time and our energy uh, thinking about. Uh, it might be the death of a loved one. It might be a diagnosis for ourselves. Um, it might be an impending disaster, as we've been viewing on television the last couple of days. And uh, we oftentimes don't want to look at these things. We don't want to look at why did these things happen, or, or why am I here, or well, it's, it can just be run-of-the-mill stuff. It could be you get home from the end of a really hard day, and you know you're going to face another one tomorrow just like you did the last two weeks in a row, and, and weeks ahead, and you wonder, hmm, is this really all there is? Is this really all there is to life? Is this, is this what it's supposed to be about? And oftentimes when we begin to kind of think those deeper thoughts of why is the world here and where is it going, and, and we begin to think about those kinds of things, we, we oftentimes don't want to think about them because we're afraid. I think we have this haunting suspicion that if we look too close at those kinds of questions that we're going to be disappointed and find out that life really isn't all that we've been told it was and it doesn't have as much meaning as we'd hoped it had. And, and so we usually try to ignore them or go have a gallon of ice cream and call it a day or something even worse, or we try to live kind of lives of superficiality in which we don't talk about or think about or deal with deeper questions of life. We just want to be happy. We're just happy people. We live on the lighter side. We like to call it optimists, but it's more than optimism. It's, it's actually denial. <laughs> we want to deny the brevity of life and, and actually the futility oftentimes of what we see. And, and so today I want us to kind of move beyond that. I've had some time kind of thinking, and, and, and it hit me one day, and, and I had some time thinking about it, and I just, I have a question I want to ask you. Because at the end of the day, I, I want to know if your life, my life, life in general matters. Does it matter? So here's my question for you. So what? I walked out of a church service three weeks ago, 
and, uh, and I stood in the parking lot of this church in another city, and I began to think this question, so what? So what? I just spent an hour in there with those people. So what? A few people got to check off little brownie points with God, ease their conscience. But really, and I know I was, I was really being cynical. I understand that. And yet the question haunted me, so what? So what that we spent an hour together? So what does that mean to their lives? Did anything change? What does it mean to my life? Did anything change because I was in there? Did anything in this community around here change because we just spent an hour together? And then this question began to expand. So what? So what to any of us? So like a little snot-nosed fifth-grade boy, I began to ask, so what about everything? And I could ask you that. You could tell me that you have a great job and you're making good money, and I would say, so what? So what does that matter in the end? Is that the point of life? Is to have a good job and make money? If you live in America, we're kind of taught that that is the end that we're all trying to achieve. But to what end is that end achieved? So what? So you can live a while, retire, fall apart, die. Yahoo. Well, you might say to me, well, I'm, I'm building a strong marriage, and I happen to believe in good jobs, and I happen to believe strong marriage is important, but even to that I say, so what? Well, we're raising good kids, and that's great, but so what? So your kids can grow up and raise good kids, so those kids can raise good So what? At the end of the day, we all die, and it all goes away, and who cares? If the highest thing that we're called to is just to kind of keep the, the race going, the species alive, it kind of feels a little empty to me. I'm kind of weak. The reality is, is that we have to look at our life, and, and I'm no great philosopher, but there are philosophers who over the centuries have looked at this question, those who weren't afraid to dig a little deeper into this thing, and, and all of them came to this this point is that life is futile. It's just a tragedy and it's a joke. There's really no point. Get by with a minimum of pain, maximum of pleasure, and when you run out of those, you end it. Here's the problem, is that we yearn for more. We all, when I said those things, we all went, no, that's not, that can't be it. There is something more. You see, there is a desire for there to be something more. There is a, a desire within us that there should be meaning and there should be purpose and, and there should be an answer to so what. So it's interesting. There's a guy who uh, had a lot of time to think, more time than I had on my break, and is a lot smarter than me or was smarter than me. And, and he actually came to the same conclusion. His name is Solomon. And we find his writings, among other places, in Ecclesiastes. And I just want to I just want to read this to you. In just chapter 1, just the first nine verses, here's what it says, starting in verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, there's a guy you want at the dinner party. He's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> what does man gain from all of his labor, which, the to which he toils under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north, and round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Now there is a depressed guy. 
Actually, there is a guy who is not afraid to look at the realities of the world and not try to buy himself off with short-term pleasure, although he tried that and it didn't work. Here is a guy who's looking honestly at the world, as philosophers have for centuries. But lest we fall into a deep depression ourselves, there is a clue in verse 9. The answer is, I mean, the question is, so what? The answer is found in the end of verse 9, in which he says, there is nothing new under the sun. There is, in King James, it's all vanity. It's just, it doesn't mean anything. But that last little phrase is a little clue that Solomon gives us. Under the sun. Under the sun, life, if all you're going to think about is the material world in which we live, then it is kind of futile. There is nothing to look forward to. You just kind of get through and, and you, you just try to get as much as you can out of life and that's it. But if you entertain the possibility that there might be something that's not under the sun, but beyond the sun, metaphorically speaking, something greater than just the material world in which we live, then you might find the answer to the so what question the place where we find where the meaning for our life is, where the purpose for our life is. Here's what we find in, uh, in a passage in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ, Christ who is from beyond the sun, in other words, who is more than just this material world. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. If we just live by instincts, by what we've been inculcated with in our society, good job, marriage, good kids, yada, yada, at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything. But if it is connected to the God, the creator who put us here and put us here for a reason, then it all has meaning. But we live our lives as if this is enough just being on this earth. And it is a gift, but it's not enough for me because I was created for meaning. I was created for purpose. I was created for impact. And I cannot do that on my own. Let me, let me read another passage in Colossians 3, verse 17. It says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, Everything I do is to be infused with meaning and purpose because of this relationship I have with Jesus Christ. And if that is true, then once and forever, the so what question disappears. I know what I'm here for. I don't always know why certain things happen or how they're going to happen or when they're going to happen, but I know what I'm created for. I'm created to be in relationship with him and to have an impact with my life. So I want to think through that little verse just for a moment with you. Okay, more than a moment. Let's be honest. It's going to be an hour and a half. Um, so. so some things need to happen. If I'm going to move toward more than a so what kind of life, um, I need to understand something. So the passage begins with, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, first thing we need to do is change our attitude. We're going to have to change our old attitude, thinking that life is about me, that it's mine to use as I will, and realize some things about our life. We need to rip that up and burn it and change our attitude. Here's some things we need to change our attitude with. First of all, we need to realize that we cannot be the director, the writer, the actor of our own story. It can't, we love self-made people in America, self-made, but you can't self-make anything that matters for eternity. Anything that you and I make is not going to last very long. And so we need to realize that if we're going to do a life that is more than a so what kind of life, 
If we're going to do that, then we're going to need to be in connection with, guided by and empowered by the God who created us for that reason and for a purpose and is helping write that story. Along with that, I need to realize my life is not my own to do with as I please. I was created for a purpose. So they say, those of us in ministry say about preachers, that every preacher can start anywhere he wants, but he always ends up on his favorite subject. And this is my favorite subject. And this is the thing that brought me back to faith uh, when I was a young man, is that I realized that outside of a relationship with God, that my gifts and my talents could only be used selfishly, but that I was created to use my gifts and talents and ability for a reason, and that reason could only be exercised and understood and experienced in God's plan, in relationship with Him. Otherwise, I was just using them to make money or to use people or to get pleasure, whatever it was. And this is the thing that haunted me. I couldn't get away from this. Without experiencing God's direction and guidance in my life, and God using me the way He created me, then my life was just a so what? Just another in a series of millions of human beings that have been on this planet that don't matter. And yet, when I came to faith, I began to realize that whatever God would do in me and through me would last forever. And that I could impact others for eternity, forever. I began to realize what my life was for. And so we began with this idea that my life is not my own. And I also began to realize that there is not a kind of two parts to my life. A lot of us live as Christian atheists. We have the weekend where we come and we worship God and we do the church thing, and then it really has almost no impact on the rest of our lives. You walk out of these doors and I want to say, so what? So what is that going to mean tomorrow when you're at school? How are you going to live differently? So what does that mean when you're making your next deal? What, what does that mean? I need to integrate. So I, I have a friend a number of years ago, and I talked to another therapist who was here last night. I have a friend a number of years ago, his specialty was a psychologist, especially especially was people with multiple personalities. Uh, they used to call it multiple personalities. This is called DID now, and I can't remember what that stands for. But, um, and he would talk to me uh, about um, patients he'd had over the years. And, and what causes that oftentimes, which is uh, generally uh, a very traumatic experience in childhood, some kind of abuse usually. And their, their uh, personality bifurcates so that some personalities deal with that and some get tough and some gets, and, and, then, and then they kind of are able to, because they can't cope with it. That's a very crude explanation. But, um, and I said, so what's the point? What, what are you trying to help them do? They said, oh, I'm, help, I'm trying to help them integrate back into the real person. So they're not separate people. So their brain isn't kind of divided, personality isn't divided in these separate I'm trying to help them come to grips with the hurt and the woundedness so they can become themselves fully. I don't understand how it works. I had more conversation last night with somebody who works with these people, with the people who struggle with this, and, and I don't understand. I'm fascinated, but I don't understand it. But I do know this, that we, a lot of us Christians have kind of multiple personalities. We have the church personality, but it doesn't seem to impact the business. Business is business, religion is religion, never the twain shall meet. Or we have the church personality or the, or the, the, the Christian person, but we have our sexuality, and those two are separate. We don't, we don't love. One of the things that I must realize is that I was created to have a relationship with God, and that relationship with God through Jesus Christ is to be a part of everything I do and everywhere I go. That's a part of what's supposed to happen. And so I don't just do the worship thing at church. I worship when I'm in my garage, building things with my hand, by honoring God, by using my gifts and being thankful for the ability to do that. I am to honor God and carry him with me into the grocery store when I'm checking out and the way I treat the person checking me out, the person waiting on me. I am to be a Christian even then. 
So as we kind of think about integrating Christianity in all of our lives, I just want to kind of point out the way to do that is to invite and be aware of God's presence. Everywhere we go, everything we do, uh, as we invite his presence, he empowers us to live a different kind of life. Not a so what kind of life, a forever impactful kind of life. Um, in Deuteronomy, it says this, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. And this is God talking to the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, as they're getting ready to enter the promised land against um, the enemies that they, they're afraid of. What would God say to you if you would recognize that his presence is with you at every point in your day? How would you talk to your kids? Because raising your kids isn't up to you alone because God is there with you. How would you negotiate this next deal? Would you do anything you need to do to get it done? Or would you do it knowing that God is with you? Do it in a way that honors him so that he is free to bless that deal. How would you, how would you try to find a mate if you're single? How would you go on dates if you knew his presence was there with you? It would be different. And so we cannot live as Christian atheists, Christians on the weekend, atheists the rest of the week. We need to invite him into every part of our life. And as we do that, things begin to change. And remember, the series is called Show and Tell. As we do this, we have something to show, and somebody will ask us eventually to tell them what, what's going on. Not only his presence, but his plans. Jeremiah 29, 11, you need to memorize this if you haven't, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Not only can I trust in his presence, but I can trust his plan. I am here for a reason. You don't have to say, so what about my life? Now, I may not have done it perfectly, but I know why I'm here, and I know why you're here. And so I never, you never have to say, so what again? You, you need to understand that you were created for a purpose and that God is doing something with you and through you, even if you don't understand it, if you are submitted to a relationship with him. And not only a plan, but also this incredible purpose. And he will not only give you a purpose, he will help you fulfill that purpose. Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. If nothing else, your purpose is to witness to what God has done to, for you. The, to be able to say, this is what God has done in my life. I just want to tell you that. I just need to tell you, this is what God has done in my life. That is a part of the show and tell that we're talking about. So change your attitude. Change your very understanding of why you're here. You're not here to get as much as you can. Get a lot, get a little. It's up to you. It's not the point of your life. The point of your life is to have a relationship with God and be a witness of that relationship to other people. So we need to change our attitude. We also need to change our certitude. <laughs> what is certitude? In this middle part of that verse in, in, in chapter 3 of Colossians in 17, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to be certain of. You need to be certain of your identity, of who you are. Because so much of what we do is intended to project a certain identity or to cause people to think a certain way about us. I had a great time on my break because on my break, I usually go to Africa and speak, uh, do pastor schools and stuff there. And, and, uh, and I get treated a certain way because I'm a pastor and because I'm white, frankly. And, uh, and I get treated a certain way there. Well, this time on my break, I went to uh, Northern California and I didn't do anything ministry related. And I work with my hands. I did like carpentry and repair and fix up work and stuff. And it was so much fun because every day I just looked really uh, normal. That's not even true on any level. Um, 
I, so every day I got up, I just put my work clothes on, and I got to work, and I had to have lots of trips to like Lowe's and Home Depot, and I was pretty dirty because some of the work I was doing was just dusty. And it was so much fun. to Nobody knew I was a pastor. Nobody knew I was a leader. Nobody knew what socioeconomic strata I belonged to because I was driving my pickup, and it was filthy, and I was dirty, and I just had so much fun interacting with people. It was just great just being me. It was just really fun. I, I know you don't think that'd be much fun, but it is. And, uh, and, I, and going into like stores and the people waiting on me and, and because, or, or at a restaurant, because I could always tell the place I was at was a fairly conservative area. And, and, and the people would look at me and, and they, I could tell what they're thinking, like, comb your hair. I, I could tell that's what they're thinking, like, comb your hair, dude. And, uh, and then so I could just kind of tell that they would just kind of look at me and they, I, in this locale, kind of rural, they, I could tell they thought I was odd. And it was kind of fun. And they just kind of thought I was odd. And then, and then I would start talking. They go, well, he's odd, but he's kind of funny. And he seems kind of harmless. He looks old, so he can't really hurt anybody. So, you know, it's kind of, I could just read their mind. You know what I'm saying? It was so much fun. I just had a great time just interacting with people just for the fun of it. It was just, and, I, and one of the wonderful things that was affirmed for me is that I'm not Doyle the pastor, and I'm not Doyle the, the husband or father necessarily. For, I'm Doyle the Christian. And then I could treat people as I believe Christ would have treated them, whether they know who I am or not, whether I ever get a chance to tell them why or not. That's who I am. That's my identity. I am a Christian. Whether I'm here in front of you or I'm off fixing a fence, I am a Christian. I think that when you can begin with that, that understand that you are a Christian, you are a Christ follower. It says, do it in the name of Jesus. That doesn't mean everywhere you go, say, okay, I pay you my bill in the name of Jesus. I, you know, I put gas in the car in the name of Jesus. No, no, you're in the name of Jesus when you were a Christian. A Christian means you're one who follows Jesus. That is what it's talking about. I can go and do what I do as a Christian. Now, for some of you here, um, maybe you're just investigating Christianity and, and you don't know what that means to be a Christian. Well, I just, I just want to lay it out for you. Because it's the most important decision you'll ever make. It is the basis for everything else in your life. It'll make you a better husband, wife, brother, sister, whatever. It will change everything about your life. And here's what it is. It's to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus said he was the son of God. That he came to forgive our sins. And the way he did that was to die on a cross. Because you and I have messed up. He's the only one who never messed up. And so he died in our place. And he was resurrected on the third day. So not only would we be forgiven, but we would be in heaven forever if we just accepted who he was and allowed him to forgive our sins and put him in charge of our life. That's what it means to be a Christian. And if you've never done that, all the rest of this series doesn't really apply to you because it doesn't work because you're still under the sun. (laughs) You're still just dealing with what you see around you. You've not become spiritually awake, alive, and ready to become who God wants you to be. It's not a matter of superiority in the rest of us. It's a matter of humility for the rest of us, having realized we need a Savior. We need someone to save us from ourselves, from our own desires, our own fallenness, if you will. Here's what it says in Romans 10.9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved from a so what kind of life. You'll be saved for eternity in heaven. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you, that you profess your faith and are saved. So that's where we begin. We begin with just knowing I'm a Christian, with this identity of being a Christian. If you've never come to that place, I encourage you, because when you come to that place, you're not only forgiven for your past, promised forever in heaven, but you are given a purpose. 
Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So here's what it is. A lot of people, when they hear about Christians, they think, oh, they're the ones who are judging everybody. They're the ones who are saying everybody's wrong. They're just out to ruin the world. No, no, here's, here's what's being said in Colossians, uh, uh, in, or excuse me, in Romans, that last passage. It is that because God has made such a change in my life, I am not out telling people they're wrong. I'm out telling people, I just need to tell you, God changed my life. And he has so changed my life, I think he could change yours too. I, I don't command you. I don't yell. I implore you, please consider Christianity. Please consider a relationship with Jesus because it changed my life so much. It made my life make sense. It made the world make sense. It gave me hope and comfort and peace and joy and love. I implore you, please consider. If you come to be a Christian, this then becomes your life mission, is sharing with others what has changed your life because it will change your life. I guarantee it will change your life. And so we find a new identity and we find a new purpose and we find a new power to do that. We're taught in scripture that he will empower us to not only live a victorious life, to deal with whatever comes up, but he will empower us to speak truth and hope and love into other people's life in ways that their life can be changed for eternity. Let me just um, share my favorite thing that happened on my break. Um, and this is the part I think that needs to change for all of us because this is the point. I had a lot of fun on my break. We did a lot of fun stuff, hard work and different stuff and, and uh, taking my kids riding on a quad for the first time. My grandkids was so much fun. They just giggled like little kids. Well, they are little kids. I giggled like a little kid because they were getting like little. I just had so much fun. I had so many great things. But let me tell you the best thing that happened on my whole break. I mean, far and away the best thing that happened. I, um, I made a friend earlier this summer, uh, throughout the summer, uh, and, and just a great guy, just a nice guy, really good guy, and, and his wife, sweetheart. And, uh, and, uh, but uh, there, there's no kind of faith, um, spiritual experience or belief in their lives. And, um, and I didn't press it. I asked a couple of times, but I didn't press it. I'm just going to be their friend. And, and then right at the end of uh, my break, and uh, this new friend came to me and said, um, hey, can you do the work I was working, I was actually installing a gate. Uh, can you do that work and uh, do professional stuff too? And, and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, am I going to perform a wedding right here? Or, and, uh, and I said, sure. And, and, and then he asked me, because he knew what I did for a living, he asked me this question. That it was, it, it was because of an event in, in their life and he wanted to know where, as a Christian, I would look at this. And it was just like, and the question was almost like this, tell me about Jesus. It was almost that, it was almost that question. It was almost like, tell me why this could happen and how God feels about it. Which is amazing coming from a person I, I don't think believes God exists. And it was just, it, in that moment, I'm looking around going, really? You're going to lob that one into me, seriously? Because I love this conversation. But I also felt a huge responsibility to respond in love because it was a sincere question. And I, I felt so, so responsible to share the most important thing that's ever happened in my life with my new friend. And, and he had no place to go. I had no place to go. We're working on this thing. And, and so we had this extended conversation, this incredible conversation. 
just where I just got to talk about God and how God loves us and maybe some of the misconceptions about God and about Christianity and how Jesus comes and how great his grace is and that you can't earn your way into heaven or into a relationship with God. You just accept it because that's how much he loves you and, and, and why Christ came, why, and just all, the whole thing. And, and it was just so cool. And we, we finished our chore a few hours later and I said, hey, thanks for the help. And he said, hey, thanks for the talk. And that was it, we're good. And I don't know what's gonna become of it, but I gotta tell you that walking away from that conversation, I couldn't wait to tell Connie. I couldn't wait to get inside and tell her. And, and I was so just humbled and grateful that I got to share the most important thing that ever happened to me. I was just so grateful. I've done some fun stuff in my life. God has been so good to me. But there is nothing that, I, that I've ever enjoyed or appreciated more than those kinds of opportunities. At the end of that, at the end of that passage in 17, it says that we're to do everything um, in the name of Jesus and that we're to give thanks to God the Father. We're not just to give thanks for all the stuff he's given us. We're to give thanks for the privilege and the opportunity of sharing the most important thing in the world. You want to live a life of impact? You want to live a life of meaning and purpose? Do something that will last for eternity. And the only thing you can do that will last for eternity is something having to do with Jesus, having to do with sharing his name, sharing his story, sharing the good news. You want a life that's filled with gratitude? You never walk around thinking, well, I deserve this, I deserve that when you've been telling people about Jesus because you're humbled because you know you don't deserve either salvation or the opportunity to share that with others. And so today, I just want to say that I think we need to wake up to what life is really about. I think we've been distracted. I think we've bought into some things that just aren't true. We think that the means are somehow the end. That we think that somehow getting is the way to go. Show and tell. You show me somebody who is self-made. I might admire them. I might admire their ability, their tenacity, their success. But you show me somebody who is self-made. And I will at the end of the day tell you, so what? You show me somebody who believes in Jesus Christ whose character is being shaped, whose path is being guided, whose life is being empowered and used by God. And I will tell you, there is a man or woman who is blessed. There is something more important than being self-made. And that is to be used by God to change your world for eternity. That's what we're called to. Let's not settle for anything less. Let's pray. Lord God, today I thank you that you have called us not only to be forgiven and to be reconciled, but to be impactful people, to live out our faith in such a way that others would look at the love, the peace, the joy that we have and ask us to tell them where it came from. I pray for my friend. I pray that he will take the words that I shared with him so ineptly, I am afraid. And yet, I pray that your spirit would take them and begin a process in his heart and mind that would bring to an eternal, bring him to a place of eternal hope, peace, and love. And Lord God, we thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen.